You're listening to Dispatches with Johnny Eberly. I have always loved to explore new places. As a kid, my family went on camping trips and epic road trips across the American Southwest. Starting in college, when my finances would allow it, I started to travel more broadly, stamping my passport at destinations around the world throughout my 20s. Along the way, I did some travel writing. At first, the purpose of these articles was to record my experiences. Memory is fleeting, and I knew I needed to write down as much as I could to preserve the highlights of the adventure I just returned from. Over time, I realized that other people were interested in learning from my experiences and that I had something to offer them. So, I endeavored to pen a travelogue for every vacation I went on, especially the locations off the beaten path. Over time, I gradually became aware of some of the ethical dilemmas that plague the modern travel industry. By now, you've probably heard about how tourists are trampling wilderness areas, and how short-term rentals are displacing families in favor of catering to travelers looking for a convenient home base. Hospitality workers being exploited and underpaid, the immense carbon footprint of travel by car or plane, the list goes on and on. When so much of travel gets boiled down to selfies and viral moments on the internet, it's no surprise there's a backlash. I even read an article by someone who was giving up travel altogether, seeing it as the only way to make sure they weren't having a negative impact on the places they were visiting. I don't think we need to go that far. I think there are ways to see the world ethically, by choosing eco-friendly options, directing money into the local economy, and doing the research to avoid inadvertently supporting systems of oppression, impoverishment, and human or animal rights abuse. We can make the right choices, but we need resources. That's where travel writers come in. Travel writers, be they professional or amateur, have a duty to guide their readers beyond just pointing them to a good bed and breakfast or sharing restaurant recommendations. We can equip ourselves and our readers to be ethically conscious travelers just as easily as we can perpetuate the very worst aspects of tourism. It's simply a choice. Four years ago, my wife and I visited Patagonia. It was the trip of a lifetime, a chance to see penguins, glaciers, epic vistas. That experience changed me and will always stay with me. But the whole time we were there, I had this nagging feeling that maybe we shouldn't have come. Patagonia is one of the most beautiful spots on the planet, but it's also one of the most vulnerable. Climate change and development threaten to destroy it, and tourism plays a part in that destruction. We did our research, we went with the best guides and tour companies who seemed committed to responsible environmental stewardship, and we did our best to lessen our impact when and where we could. But was it worth it? I hope so. In the article I wrote following the trip, I was transparent about my concerns. In the end, I left it up to readers to decide if making the trek is ultimately in the best interests of preserving the Patagonian wilderness. Travel can be many things, but when done well, it can open us up to life-changing experiences. It can connect us to other cultures, inspire us to become advocates, and break down the barriers that separate us. I think it makes me a better person by sharing it with the world, maybe you can do the same for someone else. 
Now, I'd like to take you back to the article I wrote about my visit to Chilean Patagonia. It's titled Ruta del Fin del Mundo, The Road to the End of the World, named after the highway that takes you from the airport in uh, Punta Arenas to where we spent our time in Puerto Natales. This was part of a four-part series I wrote about our adventures throughout Argentina and Chile. Here it is. Twelve hours after departing hot, dry Mendoza, Argentina, we stepped off the bus into the first flakes of falling snow. It was nearly midnight in the small town of Puerto Natales, strung along the rocky shores of Seno Ultima Esperanza, and went 150 miles from the nearest population center. It was bitterly cold that night, and as we settled into our hotel, it was obvious that I had underestimated the weather and would need to buy more layers. Morning dawned gray and cold. After a quick breakfast of toast and cheese, we hopped on our van for a tour of Torres del Paine National Park. In moments, we left behind the corrugated tin roofs and metal-clad buildings of town and ventured into some of the most beautiful and rugged countryside that I have ever seen. Much like the Puget Sound, where we live, this region of Chile was carved and shaped by ice. Retreating glaciers following the last major ice age left the west coast of Patagonia a rugged landscape of narrow fjords and sharp mountain peaks. Nowhere is this more evident than in Torres del Paine. Our tour of the national park started with the Cave of the Milodon, a touristy spot featuring a large cave where early human settlers would have taken shelter from the harsh elements, and where the bones and fur of an extinct species of giant ground sloth were discovered in the 1890s. After stretching our legs and chatting with some of our fellow tourists, shout out to Llama Hat Guy who made it his mission to make sure that Stephanie and I had many, many photos with both of us in them, we got back in the van for the main event. Torres del Paine is a sprawling national park covering 700 square miles. Within that are windswept grasslands, shockingly blue glacier-fed lakes, milky white rivers loaded with sediment, endless stands of lenga trees, icebergs, and a range of striking mountains known as the Horns, which seem tall enough to scrape against the sky which can be seen for miles and miles around in every direction. Despite the cold seeping into my bones, we had an awe-inspiring tour through the park hiking through otherworldly landscapes of rock and ice, stopping to admire the ever-shifting view of the mountains, and spotting local wildlife, including herds of guanacos, a wild cousin of the domesticated llama, and the elusive nyandu, a flightless bird resembling a mini ostrich. After returning to Puerto Natales that evening, exhausted but in awe of the natural beauty of this place, we stopped by a local outfitter for a pair of thick wool socks so that I'd be better prepared for our next outing. The next day, our expedition took us to the waters of Ultima Esperanza. We boarded a catamaran for an all-day cruise through the stunning fjords. Along the way, we witnessed towering waterfalls cascading down sheer cliffs, seals and seabirds of every kind, and massive glaciers crumbling into the sea. We stopped at a sheep ranch for a traditional Patagonian asado lunch of lamb and potatoes before boarding the ship again, where we enjoyed a whiskey with freshly harvested glacier ice. It was all over so quickly, 
As is often the case when trying to see a lot in the short amount of vacation time many of us in the U.S. get from our employers. I'm sure we could have spent more days exploring the wild southern expanse of South America. Patagonia was everything I hoped it would be and more. A place of untouched natural grandeur at the end of the world. A cold, unforgiving, but alluring land where a single human feels insignificant. No wonder European explorers of the 19th century were drawn here, this most inaccessible of frontiers. And yet, it's easy to forget how much humans, and especially European immigrants, have changed Patagonia, logging its ancient forests, driving out and killing indigenous peoples, and transforming vast swaths of wilderness into grazing land for industrial sheep farming, an ecological disaster which has pushed many native species to the brink of extinction. And now, a warming climate is robbing Patagonia of its ice, with glaciers retreating miles per year in some cases, and upsetting the balance of this delicate ecosystem. I can't help but feel a little guilty for even coming here. In my hurry to see this place before it's gone, have I hastened its disappearance? That's the trade-off we make whenever we travel, but especially when visiting the most remote and vulnerable spots on the planet. Is it worth it? I'm not sure I can fully answer that. I'm glad we went for our once-in-a-lifetime trip, and going has made me more aware of what we stand to lose if we do nothing to address climate change. And if travel can galvanize me to action and advocacy, then yes, I think it will be worth it. That's all for this week. I'm Johnny Eberly, a writer, podcaster, and global traveler. I'm based in Tacoma, Washington with my family, a dog, and three adorable typewriters. My fiction has appeared in Creative Colloquy, Red City Magazine, and All Worlds Wayfarer. You can find more of my travel writing and then subscribe to my monthly email newsletter at jweberly.com. If you want to see photos from my trip to Patagonia and read the rest of my four-part series about South America, you can do that on my website. There's a link in the description on this episode. Dispatches with Johnny Eberly is a production of Obscure Studios. This episode was written and edited by me with music by William King from Pixabay. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review. That always helps other folks find the show. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time.